A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, as we're in the season of preparation, as we're in the season of Advent, Father God, as we're in the second week of Advent, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts will prepare ourselves, not like the way that we did in the past when we're young and immature. Father, I pray, God, in this new year, in this new season, I pray, Holy Spirit, that God, that we will have a fuller grasp and understanding of what Advent means, to prepare ourselves and to see our Lord Jesus Christ, not just to know about you, not just to hear about you in the stories and remember the stories that we've heard growing up, but to truly have a deep, a personal relationship and to know who my God is and to be known by you and to be loved by you, Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you open up our eyes, open up our hearts to receive your message. I pray right now against every distraction at this moment. We pray against it in Jesus' name. And I ask God right now that your presence may truly fill not just this room, but in our hearts, oh God. Lord, we need you right now. If you're not here with us, everything we do, God, is in vain and it's all for nothing. Father, be in our midst. We ask of you today. Holy Spirit, I pray now as I transition, as we transition to the message, as I deliver the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. Help me to speak with your wisdom, O oh Lord. Love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray.
get the lights. Okay, as you saw in the video, uh, we see that this artist Sterling uh, in Wikipedia says that this lady is an American violinist, singer, songwriter, and dancer. She, she presents choreographed violin performances, both live and music videos, found on our YouTube channel, which she created in 2007. She had one of the most watched videos in 2012 on YouTube. She achieved one million singles sold worldwide by August 2014. As of September 10th, 2019, her, her channel, YouTube channel, exceeded 12 million subscribers and over 2.7 billion total views as of September 10th, 2019. As we saw in the clip, we saw a dual clip of her being in the subway. People have no idea who she is, but we also see that she has a lot of fan base and she knows her worth. She knows who she is, but she's not there. And in the same way, in the season that we're in, when Jesus came, when he came and the incarnation of Jesus, when he came to earth, people did not recognize him. And turn to your neighbor right now and let's say, Jesus Christ is born. I read that one time for Jesus to have fulfilled uh, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. So if you were to take just even eight out of the prophecies out of the 300 of coming true, they give this analogy, this picture, that if you were to take, if you were to take and, and take this whole entire state of Texas, and if you were to take 100 trillion coins, and if you just mark one coin in the state of Texas up to two feet, and in that process, we label only one, and you stir it up, and you mix it up, and you search, and you, you have a blindfold, and you search, random, you search it with your eye closed, and you choose that coin. And for you to get that coin, out of 100 trillion coins, for you to get that one coin, and you search it, and you find it out of random, mark that coin, that is, that in the same way, it's equivalent to Jesus fulfilling eight out of the 300 prophecies that's found in the, in the Old Testament. But Jesus did not only fulfill only eight, but he fulfilled every single one of them. And it should blow your mind. And it is crazy. Meaning long before Jesus came into the picture, people did not recognize who the Messiah would be. And only a few people, only a only few, only the few recognized and saw Jesus as the Messiah. So today's title, today's message, again, it's a season of Advent. It's called C. Let's all take a look at the screen again. Ready? One, two, three. C. Okay, good. So from the beginning to the end, we see the end, even the beginning and the end, the life from the beginning all the way to the end, that Jesus Christ was the underdog. And all of us, we love the story of underdogs, right? When he or she like even in movies or in real life stories, when they're faced, when they're against all odds, that's why we love movies like Rocky or even the movies that, that we've been watching as a church. We've been watching movies every month with things and it's a theme of underdogs getting to the top. So meaning when we see the birth, the birth to his death of Jesus Christ, the life that Jesus Christ had lived, how humble he was and how broken he was. We should have a deeper understanding and appreciation of who our God is. 
meaning Jesus Christ did not choose to be born in a castle, in the center of Rome, in the center of power out of royalty, but he chose to be born in a humble manger in Bethlehem. And we're going to talk about these places because this is important. This really symbolizes who our God is. Meaning even the fact of Jesus Christ becoming God and the incarnation of Jesus Christ to become a human form in a form of a baby. There is no single greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. There's no act of humility that can compare to the act of humility of incarnation of Jesus Christ. For God to come, not just as a full-grown, Terminator-style, all strong, and being centered around Rome and coming with power, but the fact that he was born in a manger, in a, babe, in, in a form of a baby, in a baby, meaning born in a human, through a human being, through Mary, we see that there is no act of humility greater than this action, than this greatest miracle that the world has ever witnessed. Isaiah 53 tells us that in verse 2, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot. What does that mean, tender shoot? It means all the odds were stacked against Jesus. He was at the most disadvantaged situation. Tender shoot. And like a root out of a dry ground. How does a plant grow? With water. Out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But I'm going to go ahead and read. It's not on the screen. But I'm going to continue reading Isaiah 52. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sins was placed on Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation, of his generation protested? For he was cut off from land of the living. From the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Meaning he did not deserve it. He was innocent, yet it was the Lord's will. It was God's plan, his will, to crush Jesus, crush him, and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. I usually read Isaiah 53 during Easter season. But we cannot have one without the other. You know, we cannot have Good Friday without Easter. We cannot have Christmas without Easter. Without the death and the resurrection and the birth of Jesus Christ. They all come together. They all tie together. When we go to a funeral, we don't just talk about the end of their life. We talk about the beginning. We usually show the pictures of when they were kids, when they were young, and the life that they had lived from the beginning to the end. 
And I pray that during the season of Advent that you will take on a whole new meaning of what this whole season of Advent is all about. And the question that I want to ask you is, do you see? Do you have eyes that see the Lord? Just like the video, people did not recognize who she was. But in the concert, everybody, thousands of people just watching. But that's how Jesus was. He came quietly. And his own did not receive him. His own did not see him. Our understanding of Christmas growing up has been all wrong. The world teaches you what? During Christmas season, it's about the jingles, the gifts, the food, the fun, the fellowship. It's about the vacation that we get from the holidays. That's what the world teaches us. But as Christians, we need to have a fuller understanding of the true meaning of Christmas. Meaning Jesus was not born in the center of Rome, the most powerful nation at that time, not in Herod's royal family, but in a humble inn. And by looking at Jesus' birth, by looking at the birth of Jesus, we cannot but to acknowledge that Jesus had humble beginnings. And for the rest of his life, he lived in humility. And it's a reminder to you and I, to us as a church, that it's to remember that God is not found in the glamour, the pride, the arrogant, but in the humble, in love, in humility, and in sacrifice. And just going back to even the message of last week, right, of the past that we talked about or two weeks ago, Father to the fatherless, right, how God resides among the poor, the broken, and his title is called Father to the Fatherless, that he, he protects and he avenges the widows, the children, the sick, the poor, the outcasts. He cares very deeply for all. That doesn't mean the rich are messed up and they are far from and they're not going to be saved as well. It's the wise and the wealthy. It's all people, mixed of all backgrounds, rich and the poor. Just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're not poor in spirit. You could have all the material things in the world, but you, have, you could have nothing in your spiritual life. I remember growing up, I had a, I had a friend, uh, you know, my friend was like really rich, like rich beyond rich. Like her rumor that like uh, the house that they uh, renovated and, and left, uh, they were renting it out to like celebrities. Like one of them were like the Jonas Brothers and like when they would do concerts in the area, one was like Britney Spears. And like now, that's what I was told, but <laughs> he could have been lying, but I don't know. But it's, the house is really big. I remember when I was young, I would love to like go to his house. I would beg, like, please let me sleep over. That'd be like the best thing, right? When you're young, sleep over. You get lost in the house and you do crazy things. You, you know, you play games and you do all kinds of stuff and the excitement that comes with it. But growing up, I realized that just because you have all the things in this world that this world can offer money and all those things, yes, those, those are good things. Those are not bad things either. People think, Money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And I realized growing up, just because you're wealthy, just because you have everything, doesn't mean you're rich in spirit. Meaning all background, the wise, the wealthy, the sick, the poor, the outcasts, the widows, the children, all Jesus cares deeply for all those who are broken before him. And again, the question, Will you see Jesus this Christmas? Turn to your neighbor and ask the question. Will you see Jesus?
this Christmas. During the season of Advent, the Magi saw, the shepherds saw, but the question is, will you recognize this king? Because the greatest gift is here. Who is that greatest gift? He is. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the, my mighty God, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the perfecter of my faith. He is here. So just like the story of the Holy Ghost or the Christmas past showing what life was really like back then, let's go back and let's talk about these individuals and the places and the setting of how and where and who was around Jesus when Jesus Christ was born on this earth. Let's start with the first one. Joseph and Mary. Now, Joseph and Mary, we find Mary, a peasant girl, just imagine her, she's not beautiful like the paintings that we see. You know, obviously things were different back then. Imagine her hair being like very messy and just wrapped in dirty blankets. Her, her area is not sanitary, it's dirty, and how difficult this must have been for this woman. Again, she is young. She's not like beautiful like the things that we see in the statues or in, in the paintings that we see. She, you, could, you could just imagine she is skinny and not really, she's not fat, she's not, we don't, the, the, the paintings that we see, the images that we've learned growing up, the things that we've seen growing up is the opposite. It's not divine. There's no heavenly glow like the paintings. And we have to imagine this woman, a young woman, you could imagine her age. It could be maybe at the age near, around age 13, a teenager, being in this situation. That was Mary for you. Joseph. We find Joseph, a man among men. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Before they are fully in their marriage place, he hears from his quote-unquote fiancé who is married to him, say, hi, honey, I am pregnant. Now, just to have an understanding how dating and how things work back then, this is a very conservative culture, right? So if you ever, who here have watched The Godfather? So if you watch The Godfather, when you start dating the person or the person that you want to marry, and you start dating, you don't just go dating one-on-one in a secret place by yourselves. The family, literally, if you watch The Godfather, the whole family follows you during that dating stage. It's like you're being watched everywhere. So for her to be pregnant, which meant that they got intimate or she got intimate with someone else, that was a huge no in this culture. Meaning if illicit, intimate relation would happen before marriage, the law said, the law provided that they be stoned to death. So Mary, she was, betrothed, she was a betrothed woman she was fully pledged to marry Joseph. So for Joseph, when he heard, hi, honey, I am pregnant, Joseph, the scripture tells us that he had in mind to divorce her quietly, to keep her from public disgrace, it says. But he has a dream where the angel tells Joseph, no, go marry Mary. Right, you can see that? Mary, Mary. Antonia's like, Mary, yeah, M-A-R-Y, and then M-A-R-R-Y, right? Mary, Mary. Matthew 1.25 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, son, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consume their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I mean, if you were to look at the dictionary and open the word stud, it'd be Joseph, right? I mean, what a stud he is for him to step up and to have faith and to have courage like this. Think about the public humiliation. Think about, you think people are going to literally believe what they're saying? That the baby is from God and this, people are not going to believe. I mean, what a stud he was for Joseph to say yes despite the fact that he knew himself. He was a man of integrity. He knew he had no sexual relation with her. It took tremendous faith and courage for Joseph to say yes to God. In this sense, to the angel, when the angel came to him in a dream. Therefore, these people, these two individuals, they must be commended for this. Majority of the people, 99.9% would have said, nope. <laughs> No way. Why? Because it is our human nature to look out for myself first. But they had tremendous faith for Joseph and Mary to do what they did. Have an understanding. What would you do if you're in that position? Would you say yes? Now, let's go to the location. Let's go to Bethlehem. Turn to your neighbor and say, Bethlehem. All right, Bethlehem was a tiny town, a tiny village. It's like an ignorable spot. And now, all over the world, people visit Israel, and they go to Bethlehem. It's one of the number one tourist spots. Why? Because that's where Jesus was born. But at that time, it was not. Many times, we look for Jesus in the big. Now, we've been churches, even during missions, we're growing up, and even churches, like when you go travel overseas, when I would go on missions, we would go to these big churches with thousands of people. Now, those are not bad things, but a lot of times we forget that we think that God is only in the glamour. But we see that Jesus, he is in the weak, the oppressed, the lost, the one who is not. They feel like they are not good enough. They know they're not good enough. Meaning we want the burning bush. We want the parting of the rest. We want the feeding of the 5,000. However, Jesus comes on a quiet night, on this very night, to Bethlehem in a small and in a very quiet way. Meaning Jesus came quietly. Jesus did not save mass, but save souls one by one, quietly. He showed miracles by mass, but he went and he touched individual in a different way. Every miracle that Jesus did was different. It was never the same. He did it in a very special, unique way. According to that individual, he saved them one by one quietly. As, I, as God told Elijah, I am not in the wind 
and the fire and the rain, but in the small whispers. During this time, people believed that Messiah would come in a big and powerful way through a castle of royalty, maybe through the center in, in Rome, not, not in a baby form, in a manger, in a place called Bethlehem. And the Bible we see is filled with underdogs. And we see the genealogy of Jesus. That we see that one of them was who? Rahab. Who was Rahab in the Bible? Rahab was what? She was a prostitute. She wasn't even part of the Jewish people. Remember when they get to the promised land, they send the spies. Rahab was the one that invites them in and says, please save me, save, remember me. And that's how she comes into the family. All of us, we are all Rahabs. And we see that even the place like Bethlehem is a small, humble place. And we see that the Bible is filled and for underdogs. People like you and I. Let's go to the next place. Bethlehem, and then we were going to the manger. Turn to your neighbor and say, manger. Now, stable, manger, God's love has no limits, and you could tell by just by looking at this one location, one place. Now, Palestinian houses, they were made in such a way where when we think of manger or when we think of like, uh, like a stable, we think of what? Like there's a house. And in a scary movie, there is a, yeah, it's like a barn, right? Like, like that movie, uh, Brightburn, right? Like all the crazy stuff happened there in the barn, and it's a separate place away from the house. But the Palestinian houses were made such a way that, do you guys remember when we went on missions to Thailand? And then sometimes when you're sleeping on top, and the animals were down there, and they're like, you see them through the holes, and they're like right below you? It's just like that. It's like they lived under the same roof meaning the animals will live with them as their beloved pets. So think of these animals as like the dog that you have at home, like Lucky or, or Ginny or just like these dogs that you love with all your heart. And what is the information and the background of the Old Testament? This is how it worked. Animals were often, what, sacrificed as a price to be paid for who? For your sins, for my sins meaning they're born in the same place, right? These animals will grow up with you. An animal that will be used for sacrifice is to show you when it's an animal that you don't know, there's a disconnect there. But when there's an animal that you love, that you grew up with, or you've seen it since it was young, or you, maybe you helped it to be born, and you have, you have built this attachment. So for this animal to be paid for your sin, it and shows you, the connection and the weight of your sin is that when sin comes, it brings death and, and sacrifice and a redemption is required for that sacrifice. So for Jesus to be born in this manger is symbolism here as one of the animals that would be sacrificed. The fact that Jesus was born in a manger with the animals, that he would be, going back to Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to the slaughter where he kept his mouth quiet. It's an ultimate, it's a symbolism, it's a foretelling of the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus Christ was that ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Meaning in the Old Testament, when animals will live with you and is killed for your sins, the sacrifice 
It's not, there's no disconnect where we go and we order a hamburger in a restaurant. But imagine if you want a hamburger, you're supposed to go and you kill the cow or the animal that you've been living with. And you are called to kill it so that you can have a meal. It takes in a whole different meaning. Meaning the sacrifice becomes now, it becomes personal. When an animal who lived with you and is killed for your sins, the sacrifice becomes personal. Time to time, I think about my first dog that passed away. And I remember when, you know, I didn't think I would cry. I remember crying. I was like, I was like, when I would enter the house, the house would feel empty. Like, it's crazy. Like, you would think, really? Over an animal? Yes, over an animal. And then you think about it, and I look at the connection here with the scripture. That when a life is sacrificed on my behalf, due to my sins, Meaning it cost me, it cost me something personal. Meaning it becomes personal. And we have a, a better understanding of what the manger is all about. It's foretelling of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So think about this place, the crude manger. It represents the unconditional and the supernatural love of God. Just imagine the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the God of the God of all things created, the King of kings, born in a cruel stable like this. To be born in a human form, fully man, fully God, eventually his life will be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. That when this sacrifice is made, all of humans, humanity, will be saved if they call on this name. So in the book, The Hungry Dark, Frederick the author, he writes, if God can be born in a stable, right? if God can be born in a manger, people can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go, God will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will go in his pursuit of humanity. Meaning, if the king of all kings can be born in such a way in a manger, and come into this world in such a way, in a manger, then in the story of Luke 15, when we hear the story of the prodigal son, when we hear the story of the lost coin, when we hear the story of, 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 the, of the 99 for one, the searching for that one individual, it takes on a whole new meaning, meaning the immeasurable length God will go to find his children, meaning there is no limit to God's pursuit for his people. This week I saw a documentary about Mongolia, and it's a beautiful country, right? It's really like, it's out there, like, wow, how can people live there? It's crazy. And you see the, the, the stars and the beautiful landscape and everything, and one day we'll send Ronnie there close to his home country, and eventually maybe he'll make his way to China, or we'll send him alone as an ambassador. But we see in the story, in the documentary, that the shepherd, literally they have sheep, and this guy, he says, I know each one of them by their name. Like, he gave them names, and he knows each one. I'm like, there's so many. Like, how do you know each one? But, you know, obviously they have, like, I feel like maybe, like, there's not much to do. So, like, <laughs> he talks to the sheep, and, you know, obviously, right? Like, you would know. Like, if he didn't, then that'd be strange, right? But the fact that he, like, he knew each one of them, and then this other shepherd, they run into the shepherd. He's on a horse, and he's going up to the mountains, and you know, they don't have horses, but they're trying to follow him, and they, they're so tiring because of the altitude and everything. 
And this, the shepherd, he's searching for his lost sheep. And I was reminded of the sermon that we did, right? Luke 15, right? The prodigal son, 99 for one. The story of the shepherd going and knowing each one of us by name. He knows you. He knows you right now as you're sitting here. And when you run away, he will go and search for his lost sheep. Manger represents the love, the unconditional love of our Lord Jesus Christ. This love is not like human love where it's based on condition, right? As human beings, it's based on condition, give and take. But this love is a relentless, all-powerful, all-giving, unexplainable kind of love that pursues you to your, ta- to your dying breath. Jesus truly displays the fullness of what love is, what true agape love means in the presence of his enemies. That we see even on the cross, that soldiers that sped on his face, soldiers that punched him in the face, the people, the wrong people that accused them, that spread false testimony, who falsely, with the false witness who accused them, who lied. For Jesus to die on the cross, for Jesus not at the end to say, Father, kill them for they are liars. But for Christ to say on the cross, before he took his final breath, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That takes on a whole new meaning of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is that Jesus died for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus died for you. And tell yourself, in your heart, Jesus died for me. Do you grasp the truth of this phrase that Jesus died for you? That's what the manger represents. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us that his own received him not. Meaning his own did not recognize him. He's born in Bethlehem. There's no crowd of people who want his signature and to witness this baby. It says only few saw, only few were able to see the Messiah, the living King. So when we hear passages like Romans 5, 7 to 8, when it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That takes in a whole new meaning, that while we were still sinners, meaning we didn't need to do anything for us to initiate first, for us to be good enough for God to save us. But it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. So when I say Jesus, when I say, when I say, say to yourself, Jesus died for me, do you truly understand that he died for you without any condition? He didn't ask you to do this and then this or this. The only thing he asked is repentance. He asked for humility. When it says, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, it takes on a whole new meaning. Meaning that God initiated first. First John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. He doesn't love us because we first loved him. The Bible is very clear. First John 4, 19. We love because he first loved me. Which leads us perfectly 
to our last point. Last point. And the last point is, let's all look at the screen. And let's shout. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Uh, it's Jesus, actually. No, I'm kidding. Yes, Jesus. Meaning, in John 1, it tells us that his own received him not. Now, let's look at our main character here. Now, it's a disturbing image, you could say. Think about it, a newborn baby wrapped tightly in what we can assume is wrapped in a dirty, blood-tarnished cloth, right? So what they would do is when you would bring a sacrifice, they would wrap the lamb and they would bring it to the altar, right, in the Old Testament, and they would sacrifice the lamb as a sacrifice for their sins. So the fact that Jesus wrapped tightly in a lamp, in, in, in a cloth, it represents like Isaiah 53, right? He was, that was his, his foretelling of what's going to happen, the sacrifice of our Messiah, the King. So in this picture, it's not a beautiful picture. Think about it. It's not like what we see in the paintings or the thing. Just throw all that out. Don't even think about that. Just imagine a baby wrapped in a blood-tarnished cloth. And if you read, okay, with that image, I want you to read, and with the image of Bethlehem, with the image of, this, of the manger, with the image of the location and everything that was going on that they were rejected from all the in the places that they're trying to get to, because they had to go in for the census, they had to get, and they were in Bethlehem. Just imagine in that setting, and let's go ahead and read Isaiah 53, verse 2, one more time. I'm going to read it for us. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, meaning it was the most impossible situation. Like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nothing about this child to suggest who he really is. In the eyes of the world, they look like a bunch of like homeless people and it's a scene that you might see like under a bridge, you know, like a very sad scenario here. And Jesus is born in this situation. No one saw, no one recognized who this king was. There was no divine having a glow like the paintings, like I said. And had we not already known, you and I, we wouldn't have recognized him at all either. All right, this is like the scene in that movie, Pursuit of Happiness where they're in the bathroom and they have no place to go, no place to sleep. He's with the son and he's crying. I mean, this is not a happy situation. I mean, it's, these people are desperately homeless for no one welcomed them in. It's a scene that you find, not in a Christmas car, but in, like when you go to the other side of the town and you see the people and these are people who are rejected. So when we hear the passage of Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb 
led to, like a lamb to the slaughter, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Takes in a whole new meaning of what this whole season of Advent is about. From the beginning to the end, literally everything was set in place perfectly. God's perfect timing and His will and His plan to save all of us. So that eventually, when He goes on the cross, that's the end. Meaning, sin will no longer reside and no longer master us. Death has no power over us. We have this new meaning that this sacrifice was once and for all. And therefore, my life is a new life that is found in Christ. Remember this that God resides among the poor. When we do the homeless outreach, on December 15th. We are not going there because we think we have something better to offer and or that we're somewhere there or here and they're here, they're down there and they need our pity. I want you to remember Jesus the way he was born. The life of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our King. Don't get lost by the lights and the glamour and all the things that we see. And those are not bad things. Don't, I'm not saying, like, don't make ham for Christmas and, I don't know, like, do stuff and fun and spend time with family. Like, no, Jesus didn't, so I can't. And then throw the ham to the table. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, just remember who our God is and who he was and the life that he lived. Remember, I mentioned earlier the widows, the children, sick, the outcasts, the poor, God cares very deeply, not just for the poor, but for the rich. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you are, you, are, you are rich in spirit. That we are all lost and broken without the Messiah. The question is, do you see right now? Are you able to see and recognize this Messiah, this King? This humble King that was not born in the center of Rome? among the wealthy, but he was born, born among the poor, unrecognized and unseen. This humble king, this humble king came to save you and came to save all, all of us. And the question is, will you see and recognize Jesus this Christmas? And that's the question. Will you see and recognize this Jesus? And what do I mean by this Jesus? I'm talking about this humble king. Are you ready? Are you listening? Not everyone knew at this time. No one knew. Or are you too distracted with the holidays? 
This very season is about Jesus. It's not about the busyness with the noise, with the gifts and all the things, all the other things. Those are good things. But if you don't see Jesus in the center, then everything is for nothing. Anna and Simeon, shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth. These individuals are recorded in the scripture. And these individuals were able to see Jesus. They knew who the Messiah was. These individuals were ready. They were ready. And the question is, are you ready? And for us, for us to not be ready, especially when we have the word of God and when we, have, when we come to church and we hear the word of God, we have a relationship with God, for you to not be ready, that tells us something, that we are actual, actual fools. How can we not be ready? when we have the truth right in front of our eyes. We have the truth in our hearts. So how do we get ready? How do we get ready? Let's quickly go over five. Number one, these are not, again, they're not in particular order. But okay, number one, listen. Listen. What do I mean by listen? Listen to your shepherd's voice. Why? Just like the story that I shared at the Mongolian, that the shepherds, just like they know the sheep one by one, and the shepherd who left to find the lost sheep, he is that kind of shepherd. He's not a higher hand, where he is afraid of the wolf and he runs away when the wolf attacks, but he is the shepherd that will give his life for the sheep. So listen to his voice. Listen to your shepherd. Number two, repent. Repent. What do I mean by repent? Be humble in heart. Be humble in heart. Be humble in action. Be humble in your life. Just like Jesus was. But we're not doing it just because Jesus was. When you are in a relationship, and from the overflow of the relationship, it will come repentance and humility. Meaning be humble in heart. Repent. Meaning a heart that yearns for God. Because the scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Number three, run. Uh, these are for uh, non-Christians. Uh, and for those who are Christians, just run to God, for you are invited. Run, surrender to Christ as you are. As you are. Messy, dirty, rich, but with a genuine desire. doesn't matter. Just run to him. Just run. Remember, while we were still sinners, he died for us. Number four. Number four, call. Call. Can you go check? check. Okay, number four is, is call. Um, no matter where you are in life, we call on Jesus. And the scripture says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Call on Jesus and you will be saved. And last one, number five, accept. Turn to your neighbor and say, accept. Take your burger and go, accept. Accept. What do I mean by accept? Accept his grace. Salvation is free, but there's a catch. 
it costs you everything. But again, it's not give and take. It's an overflow of the salvation that you have. You cannot help but to give God your everything, your all. Christine, please come up. As we finish up our notes, when you're ready, I want to invite you guys right now to just close your eyes right now with me. And as we're in the season of Advent, let us reflect upon the message and the theme for this week. See. See to yourself right now. See. Do you see the living Lord? Do you understand? Will you recognize Jesus during the season of Advent? Or are you lost? Are you distracted by the glamour and the noises that are going around you? Do you see the living King? Do you see the birth of Jesus Christ? Do you see him? Or do you just know about him? Do you just know about him as you have seen in the paintings? Or the stories, a fairy tale, story that, that you've heard growing up in Bible study, in elementary, when you hear your teacher talk about the birth of Jesus? But are you seeing the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ, of who our Lord is? Do you see him? Do you see him? Will you recognize Jesus this season? For John 3 says, Not everyone, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And His name is Jesus Christ. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So I want to ask you a question right now. What do you love more? Yourself, the world, the desires of this world, the pleasures of this world? Or do you, do you desire the light, the light of Jesus Christ, the truth and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you love the world, you will not see this light. You will not have access to this light. Meaning your heart will not even desire this light. And that is a scary place to be. Everyone who does evil hates the light, it says in verse 20. It will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Meaning, all are welcome in the kingdom of God. But sadly, only if they repent and turn to the Lord in faith, they will be saved. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you. Not, any, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that who he wants all people to be safe and to come to a knowledge of this truth. Do you know this truth? Do you know this truth? But sadly, not all will be saved. Only those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Are you one of the ones who are found in your pride? You feel like you could save yourself because you think that you're somehow a good person because you do good things once in a while. I am not that bad. But the scripture is very clear. Only those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Only those. For many are invited, but only few are chosen. If you are chosen, you will call on the name of Jesus. Only those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Will be saved. Right now, as you're sitting in your seat, maybe right now you feel like your life is like the manger. The description that we talked about in the sermon, messy, dirty, or you feel like you're Bethlehem, you are nothing, you are small, insignificant. Maybe from the bad decisions with animal feces and everything that's around and maybe from the bad decisions and the choices that you've made from your past, sins that you've committed, secrets that you carry, unforgiveness, hatred and anger that you carry. Jesus wants to dwell in your manger. Jesus wants to be born in the place that is why he came. He was born in a place is despised and it was hated Jesus wants to live and have a relationship with you the question is will you allow Jesus to come into your life and to strain out all the mess and all the junk all the sins all the depths that we have accumulated over the years you may think right now you're sitting you may think who am I I'm not worthy for my king to reside in my life no that's a lie from the enemy Make room for Jesus. Recognize Jesus. See Jesus for who he is. We love because he first loved you. He died when we were still sinners. He died for you. Remember the truth.